Bitcoin fixes the money, the Beef Initiative fixes the food and nutrition. Step into some new awareness that incorporates some much needed food intelligence into your life. This is Texas Slim with Texas Slim's vision. Hey guys, good morning. It's uh, July 6th, Wednesday, 11 a.m. Central Time. We're kind of back on air with uh, Texas Slim's vision. I've uh, been on the road for about 40 something days. I uh, went all over the South. A lot of people know that I went out to Tennessee. Uh, we've got a special guest today. Uh, we're going to introduce uh, Jim Mundorf of Lonesome Lands on uh, Twitter. He is at Lonesome Lands and LonesomeLands.com. In the meantime, I wanted to let everybody know we're going to start uh, kind of introducing these podcasts with some updates as far as where we're going with the podcast. Texas Slim's Vision, Texas Slim's Media Company, uh, we're now integrated fully into Podcasting 2.0. Uh, you can listen to us anytime on the Fountain app. If, if you don't have the Fountain app, go get it. You can earn sats while listening to the show at any time. Uh, you'll never hear uh, outside ads. If you hear any ads or sponsors, it'll be from my mouth. Who we're willing, uh, we're working with with our sponsors, locally, uh, community based, and uh, we uh, we re- very much are fully supported by the listener you so if you find value in what we're uh, providing to you boost a message through the fountain app and uh, we'll read you on the next podcast saying that we've got some uh, people that have been really uh, paying attention to us we've got 2,000 sats from at nomad joe thanks for your service he says 250 from at user 767 and i'll stop there it's a long username 5,000 sats from at Gilligan. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. 333 sats from at Joe LW. Food intelligence. Hashtag food intelligence. 5,000 sats from Tomato Deer from Breeze. Uh, 10,000 sats from Adam Curry. Whole coin. Here we go. Thanks, Adam. We appreciate you getting us set up on podcasting 2.0. The team really... Uh, Really appreciated your help uh, during the last month. Uh, another 10,000 sats from Adam Curry. 50,000 sats from Adam Curry. Thank you for podcasting 2.0 promo. 10,000 sats from Adam Curry again. Can we build smaller distribution networks instead of relying on only on UPS? Yes, that's something that we need to look into. We got anonymous here, 577 sats. We've got 2,000 sats from Nomad Joe. Thanks for your service. Okay, guys, uh, appreciate you. Let's keep the streaming going. Uh, let's uh, start paying attention to podcasting 2.0. It's going to be something that we all rely on uh, moving forward. Uh, it's uh, censorship uh, resistant. Uh, it's a value for value exchange. We need to start thinking about value for value exchange in our lives a little bit more. One thing that we focus on in the beef initiative is a value for value exchange within our food itself. Uh, What a better place to start than pure animal protein. Pure animal protein being provided by American rancher, uh, people that have been in this their whole lives. Uh, Jim Mundorf is here today. He's out of Iowa. Hey, Jim, how are you doing today? Good. Thank you for having me. You bet. Um, I've been following you for a while. Uh, I remember I was on Harvest last year up in North Dakota, and uh, I'd been watching a couple of your podcasts, and you were talking a lot about the ranching industry, the manipulation that goes on within the ranching industry in America. I think a lot of people are not really familiar really where our food comes from anymore, and you do a very good job of articulating who has control of that market access and how much of a lack of access we have to pure animal protein these days. Uh, By saying that, let's go into you a little bit more as a person, as a man, as a rancher, somebody in the ranching uh, industry and kind of where you come from and what you're you're, uh, currently doing and how you see us moving forward in in the United States within our beef industry. Okay. Yeah. I'm from Southwest Iowa, a little town called Griswold, um, which is about 40 miles east of uh, Omaha, Nebraska. And um, I grew up there on, we raised corn, soybeans, and we had a small feedlot um, and a real small cow-calf herd. Um, And so I went on to college and was a communications major because I was really interested in media. 
got done with that and started my own business called DroverHouse.com, where I sell um, Longhorn artwork, Longhorn mounts and artwork. Um, and I did that for, I mean, I still do that. That's my main business, but I've always kind of continued to work on the farm and with the cattle on the family farm there. And um, about, I think it's almost been five years. It was 2017. I, I kind of got back into the media thing, you know, as when I got out of college, I know I didn't want to work for any media company or really anybody. So I just went off and did my, started my own business and did that. And as that grew, I kind of, things have progressed with technology and it's kind of like, well, you can do your own thing. Um, and I've always kind of thought that the, the, just with Lonesome Lands, when I started that, I just wanted to kind of put out more of a rural perspective on the news or anything um, and, and just give that perspective. I didn't, I didn't really see myself going where it's went, but as I continued to look into things more, my, I've just kind of written as I've learned and my eyes have really been open to what an absolute mess the cattle industry mainly is um, really and how it's, it, it's just uh, kind of, based on really a fraudulent system that, that these four corporations control. Um, and so that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. I well, guess. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great place to start because, you know, we, we see manipulation every year. I mean, you and I know a lot of the numbers and the sats, you know, statistics and then the percentages and everything, you know, as far as a global apparatus, you know, how they manipulate the beef industry. You know, I was reading something the other day, let's just for the general user, we have more, four major processors, it's JBS, it's National, it's Tyson and Cargill. And, you know, those are four of the major processors in the United States. And, you know, they're not even in the United States. Let's look at, you know, somebody like JBS, they're in Brazil. They're headquartered out of Brazil. Uh, every year they get fined millions of dollars. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of times it goes unseen. A lot of uh, times the price manipulation happens. You know, I believe uh, one of your cast, it was pretty recent, sometime this year, you brought up the fact that the owner of JBS went to prison in 2017-18, I believe. And, you know, it was for bribing the, the Brazilian president in their legislative branch. Well, they didn't mention as well that there was a lot of bribing going on in the United States as well. And so, you know, they go through these lawsuits. They go through, you know, the lobbying apparatus that we have to maneuver, and especially the rancher themselves has to move, maneuver around and they get these, you know, slaps on the wrist, you know, in, in the millions of dollars, but they never really say, well, what was the outcome from that fine? Well, usually I think JBS was fine this year, uh, $56 million for price manipulation during COVID, but they ended up making about $500 million. And, yeah, and that was actually... Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but no, that no, was no, actually a settlement. Um, yeah. They just, they settled that. So they weren't fine. They just paid it so that that, that lawsuit would not go to court. How convenient. Yes. Right. <laughs> and so, and that's what, you know, the general public, they don't see that. It's like, that's just part of doing business. If you're going to manipulate the United States beef industry, you know, you know, you're going into it. You know, you've got this little side fund here that you're going to be willing to pay because the, the margins that you're making on the back end and the, and how you maneuver through that is just, you know, it's worth doing business that way. And why would they not? And it's, you know, it's up to our legislative branch, our beef industry, our lobbyists, our cattle industry, our representatives to stop that. But we don't see it. I mean, we're losing percentages every year in the ranching industry in the United States of America. And the type of protocols that they're putting on the American rancher is, you know, really leaving the American rancher out there vulnerable not to be a rancher anymore, to be, you know, different type of operators to where they don't have a say so on how that cow is stewarded, how that land is stewarded anymore. You know, from where we came from, let's just say in the last 50 years, I mean, we're at a breaking point sometimes, I see. And, um, you know, voices like you need to be heard more. And that's, you know, what the Beef Initiative is about. That's my main purpose right now is giving you guys a voice. So saying that, I mean, what, what do you do on a daily basis these days? Because we've been trying to get together for a while. And I know you go and you travel. And, you know, what is the daily life of, of Jim? Yeah, so, and I was telling you before, I haven't really put out a whole lot of content lately just because, like, Lonesome Lands, that website is really just, 
it's kind of like a, I'm just putting money into it and time into it and not really getting a whole lot back. So then I kind of all of a sudden have to focus really on my, on my work. And I have a wait list of customers that I'm, that I'm constantly trying to, um, you know, fulfill orders and, and, and make time to, to work on lonesome lands. But then, and also I'm committed to working on the family farm and that, that schedule there is pretty set in stone. When, when planting comes, I kind of have to drop everything and I help plant and work cattle. We did a couple weeks ago for a couple days. And so as far as a standard day, there's, you know, like today I, I'll just work on horn stuff and then I'll do your podcast and then I'll go probably go back and work on horn stuff. And I got horses at a different place because I was out of town and got to bring them back. So it's kind of like your typical, anybody that works in agriculture is just constantly kind of running around and, and trying to stay ahead of things. But it seems like I'm pretty well behind all the time. Um, but I am focusing on, on getting more videos up. Um, and, and more content and and I kind of had this deadline of July is where I'm really gonna try to ramp things up so this is this is getting me motivated um to get there <laughs> yeah well and like I said I mean we're gonna help you out I mean that's what we do in the beef initiative I mean we've helped other ranchers so far even just you know getting their uh the rancher you know if they're if they're selling beef or if they're wanting to educate you know, you can come into the beef initiative, put your information on there, you know, and it's, it fits anybody's, you know, system. It fits your own business model. It's really about giving you market access to a new audience, an audience that is really looking for you and wanting to learn from you. It doesn't have to be about selling beef. It could be education about beef or just education about the agricultural industry in the United States. And, you know, like I said, I mean, a lot of these, a lot of the truth out there has been stifled and you know what we have to do is we have to do one rancher at a time we have to do one cow at a time we have to do you know one business model at a time i love the fact that you know a lot of your work is with the texas longhorn you've got uh, a, a little system there behind you a little hat rack you know it's got the you know the texas longhorns uh tell yeah. us a little bit more what you do at the longhorns what 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 is what is your approach to that yeah so well from start to finish and right now I'm having a hard time getting horns. So if anybody, I mean, I need big horns. A lot of people have the smaller ones, but, um, yeah. And so we'll really start to finish. I drive to packing plants or different people. I know that'll have horns. There's ranchers that cattle have died on their property. I pick them up, bring them back to my shop here. You got to clean them, pull the bones out, sand them, polish them. And then I build, um, what I, you know, all kinds of different stuff, furniture, sculptures, mainly mounts is what I do a lot of, but. Um, yeah. Pretty well, I've seen, that. I've seen that website. And so, you know, we'll get everybody looking at that as well. And, um, you know, it's, it's part of utilizing the cow. I mean, we've all, you know, as far as everybody that comes from ranching, you always utilize as much as you could, you know, at, off the cow, you know, the, the type of cuts of a cow that we don't even get to see anymore having to buy through the market access, which is, you know, supermarkets, which is basically controlled by the, the processors and packers have really caused a lot of uh, a, a lot of ignorance in this nation about the, you know, how, where we came from when utilizing the cow and everything about the cow, turning everything and honoring that, that the steer, the longhorn, whatever it is in a way that, you know, we've learned from, you know, from uh, history, from, you know, Native Americans with the bison in, in ways that I believe that the market access to full uh, understanding of what the cattle industry is and how it became so powerful in the United States. We, we went out there and we started feeding the nation. And one of the first, you know, types of cow that we used was a longhorn from Texas and how that migrated up. And we started feeding the nation, you know, in the 1880s. And we started these cattle drives. You know, we started the cattle drives that went all the way out to military bases. You know, they drove them up north, you know, from to Kansas to Iowa, you know, all the way. Used the rail systems as, you know, the, the railway started coming across and going east to west and north and south in the United States. And one thing that, you know, today, most people think that, you know, I just got on the road, you know, I was on the road for about 40 days, like I said, and I, I found one thing and it was fascinating to me that people really do not know where food comes from. They don't know where beef comes from. They think it comes from the supermarket. Um, 
as a rancher, somebody that utilizes the cow that has, you know, boots on the ground approach to your life, to your business model and everything. Let's go through the the life of a, a small independent rancher. And what do you do with that cow from day one? And then taking it to maybe, maybe to market, if you can take it to market, or if you're selling it to a feed yard or you're selling it to the processor, let's people, let, let's paint that picture so people can get a better understanding of where, uh, how you guys have to maneuver in the industry that is basically stifling uh, the rancher these days. Yeah. So, and, and it almost, it, it might be, as you're saying that, it might be better to go backwards from the fat cattle getting sure. sold to the processor because that's kind of what the whole and that and that's where it gets really confusing and for even for people in the cattle industry it gets confusing because there's so many steps along the way and if you're not marketing fat cattle um a lot of the ins and outs just aren't there because a lot of these the majority of fat cattle are sold under confidential agreements called AMAs, if you've been following anything, the alternative alternative marketing agreements is what they are. Um, and it used to be called captive supply. Now they, you know, they call it these AMAs to make it sound better. But what it is, is a supply of cattle that the packers already own that are in feed, feed yards. Um, and those cattle are sold using confidential agreements with, with diff, you know, they the pricing's confidential. It all does get, um, reported to the USDA, but you don't know who's getting what price. And a lot of the problem there is just a, the most simplified explanation is you're getting a, you're getting a better price um, based on quantity. If you can supply more of what those packers want, you're going to get a better price. So the bigger get better prices and continue to get bigger. Um, and the little guys just have to, you know, and then how the cash market, so cash is how is through an auction where they actually bid on it, bid on the fat cattle. And so the, the whole price for every animal downstream from them. So now to go back to the beginning, like a, we have a cow calf herd, which means we have cows and we breed those cows to bulls or we AI them. They have babies and those calves and we raise them up to where, you know, we actually wean them and background them for a little while and we'll sell them at 10, 12 months old. Um, and they will go on to feed yard or a wheat pasture or something like that. And the people that buy them will be either stockyards or cattle feeders and, or stockers they'll call them or backgrounders or cattle feeders and those people just buy the cattle and they'll put them in either a feed yard or like i said they'll put them out on pasture to get them to gain some more weight and then um, from there they'll go to a finishing yard which is where they will continue to put on gain weight and be fed and then they'll go to the beef processor but all those prices down the line are based on this cash market, which um, doesn't take into account all these confidential marketing agreements that the 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 big pack the big feed yards have with the beef processors. And I know that's confusing, and and that's part of the part of the issue. Right. Yeah. And what what it is, there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of touch points there, right? There's a lot of touch points there that, you know, people are making. Yeah. I mean, even me explaining it, I get into like, I just, I'm so confusing. I mean, how is somebody going to understand it? And that's part of the problem is they have such Mm -hmm. a, it's, it is complicated and, and people kind of, it's, it's like, it's purposefully complicated. Like, well, you don't understand you know, just like anything, like the mortgage industry, insurance, anything, they want to complicate it as much as they can so that it's easier to manipulate. hundred percent. I mean, we live in a commodity world. We live in a subsidized world. You know, subsidies are just, you know, nobody can even know how to track, track them. We have USDA insurance policies. We have so many different, you know, ways. And I always ask a lot of people, I say, hey, where do you think the value of the cow is these days? 
you know, and, and that's, that's something hard to explain. You know, people don't really know where the value is. It the, is it in the feed yard? Is it in that grain that they're having to be pushed upon them to get them even fatter, you know, with the, the processing packers that have full control over that, you know, rancher doesn't have control of his cattle anymore and he gets rid of it in that stream that you, you basically that sequence of events that you can look at from that cash market done, you know, the unknown marketing agreements and stuff like that. But if you look at the value of the cow now, you know, in the past it was, well, maybe it was in the land itself or maybe it was in the cow itself. And it was a much more simpler time. And it was much more empowering for the rancher to be able to be that rancher, to steward that animal. We've created so many bottlenecks to generate that revenue for the rancher. And it is that that middle ground of a black hole that a lot of people don't know how to maneuver through. And having to investigate, having to be an expert in all of that really takes time. It takes money. It takes, you know, community. It takes so many different touch points of understanding to where you can be actionable. But one thing that, you know, a lot of people really don't understand that one of the biggest bottlenecks is processing and processing dates and securing those dates as an independent rancher, smaller, you know, rancher. And, and, you know, the more that you, you, you sell to the processors, the easier those processing dates are. If you're a small cow-calf operation, you're just not going to get there. You're not going to have a, a sense of sovereignty or independence to be able to, you know, have that independence of making those choices. Right. And a lot of it depends on, you know, where you're at, how far you are from the actual processing plant. But if you go into that and you're talking about the history, and that's something I've kind of went into too. My grandpa, if you want to go back to kind of where I'm from, and this is what I've been looking at too. My mom talks about, he would milk, he had milk cows that he would milk, I think eight cows a day and they would sell the cream. And this is part of, this is just kind of what a farm was like, you know, 50, 60 years ago. So they would have income from selling the cream from milk cows. He had hogs that he would raise from birth to slaughter weight. He had cattle he would raise from birth to slaughter weight. And they had eggs that they would sell to somebody who would come by, I think every day or like once a week or something and pick up eggs. And then he would grow corn, hay, uh, oats, you know, just a whole variety of different income streams. And if you go down to it now in this neighborhood, the vast majority of people make an income off of corn and soybeans. Yeah. Um, and that's it. Uh, if you go into the cattle industry, not too far from where I'm at was the first IBP packing plant, which really, if you get into the history or, or a beef processing, IBP really revolutionized. They were Iowa beef packers. They revolutionized um, beef packing. And when they built that packing plant, their goal was to buy directly from the farmers and the guy this the one thing that really sticks with me is the guy that built it he said so at the time it was stockyards the stockyards was the uh the way to sell cattle and you know if you're familiar with these towns kansas city omaha fort worth were major stockyards and everybody would take their cattle there and that's where they would sell them ibp there was direct marketing before ibp but they really pushed it and and what they want to do is go directly to the cattle to the farmer and buy cattle directly from him. And he said, when he built that plant, he said, a hundred, a uh, hundred mile radius is my stockyards because every farm has a cow in it. You know, every farm has cattle on it. In 2015, um, that packing plant, plant closed. And one of the reason they said they closed was because they could not find enough cattle. And the reason for that was um, the cattle industry has just been shrunk to the point where, um, you know, th these farms that it's just not worth it for them to have cattle on it. You know, I mean, my family is really into livestock. I, I love doing it. My brother loves doing it. My dad's had cattle all his life. Um, and so the reason we're still with it is just because we love it. Like right. if you look at grain prices now, it's almost kind of crazy to, to have any sort of pasture land that could be farmed um, you know, unprofitable. So, I mean, and, and all of that is kind of the, the whole beef, removing beef from the farm is kind of a, you know, it's, it's all about efficiency and that's what the beef packing or the beef packing industry will tell you. It's all about efficiency. 
but it's efficient for them mainly. Um, and so that, that's just kind of what I've been looking into and, and kind of the history of, of where we've gone. I can't remember what, you, what your question was, but. No, I mean, it's good. All, everything, you know, that like this conversation right now, I mean, you probably, you and I are around it a lot. We talk about it a lot, but what we kind of lose uh, sight of is, is the form of even this having this general conversation right now, how really informative and educational it is for a lot of people. They can look at things differently now. And, you know, just giving the history of what it was, you know, you know, IBP, Iowa beef packing. You know, I come out of si- outside of Amarillo, Texas, up in the Texas panhandle. I mean, it had stockyard there. You know, everybody, that's where we grew up. I mean, it was, you go to the stockyard. I mean, it was the stockyards. You know, it was, it was fascinating. You know, Amarillo, you know, Canyon, that area of the panhandle was, you know, established by Charles Goodnight, you know, and James Oliver. And basically, they, that was a, one of the cattle drives that they used, you know, Lonesome Dove. I mean, that's what it was written about was Charles Goodnight and Oliver. But people really don't understand the history of the cattle drive. And, I, you know, I talk about it all the time. It's like, well, we have a new modern day cattle drive. And one of them that you don't like, you know, it starts in Brazil. And, you know, we're getting, getting right now a lot of the beef that is actually consumed in the United States comes from Brazil. It doesn't come from the United States. Brazil, um, you know, they export over, I think it's two point, close to two point million tons last year of beef. <laughs> Okay, well, the United States only exported 1.4, and but the thing about it is that exported beef, uh, it goes to Japan, it goes to South Korea, it goes to China, it goes to Europe, it goes to the highest bidder. So even the great beef that we do uh, steward and raise in the United States, we don't get to consume it. We do not have market access, and that market access is is controlled by, let's say, JBS, that is from Brazil. You know, that cow starts in Brazil, ends up in Mexico, ends up becoming a fat cow, and ended up being processed in the state of Texas, and it gets that USDA prime stamp on it. And just just be able to un- uncover that awareness of how the ranching industry works and how basically the American rancher each year, a percentage of the ranchers are disappearing because they do not have that market access to a clean processing center that they can use. You know, they don't they, they can't afford to, you know, raise 10,000 cattle every year and make profit off that 10,000 cattle. You know, maybe they want to do a herd of 200 or even smaller than that. Well, they don't have market access to be able to take that cow all the way from the soil all the way to your fork and then make the profit off of it. If you have that market access that is through, a, uh, uh, let's say like IBP, they had these smaller processing abattoirs and facilities all across the Midwest. And it was, it was common. It's like my grandfather used them. Everybody here in the Texas Panhandle, that's what you use, IBP, because there were microprocessors. You know, how many microprocessors have been mothballed? Like you said, well, it's phenomenal. And the reason that is, is because it is becoming such a global industry that has each year taken that power away from the American rancher and people just don't see it. They, they don't know how to disseminate it. So these conversations are valuable and we can build on that intelligence and the education to where we start creating a market access that's dis- different up in the mind and people can start looking at our communities and saying, hey, how can I get back to what our grandparents did? How can we look at our community and start buying and creating a new consumer demand that's not over here at HEB or Kroger or Walmart or Costco, but it's actually to your local community, to your local rancher, to where you know I can go up and shake your hand, Jim, and say, hey, I want to buy half a cow from you. And say, sure, we've got a processing center here that we're using. It's not one of the major four. And, you know, that way – you and I know each other. We establish that relationship. We have market access that we're peer to peer. You're making the profit more so now because it's just between you and I. It's a peer to peer transaction instead of everything in the middle and all the price manipulations that go along with that. And just you having this conversation, I think it really does enlighten a lot of people. Yeah, it's I mean, that's kind of the, the goal, like I said, with as far as what I'm covering. Um and, and I'm just kind of learning right along with other people. And there's a lot of people, even in the livestock industry, that that just don't realize. Because that's probably the biggest thing or the worst thing that I've seen is how little just these, these processors are 
covered and, and how little people know about, like, to me, it seems like pretty big news when the largest, largest meat packer in the world um, goes to prison for bribery. I mean, if you look at what JBS has done, so JBS took money out of U.S. banks. They they used a U.S. they used a Manhattan uh, apartment and bribed Brazilian officials so that they were able to get these. Uh, it's really like a subsidy. I think Brazil has a national bank, so they were able to get loans from that national bank to buy whatever they wanted. And one of the things they wanted was Swift Foods out of U.S., which at the time was the third largest beef packer in the U.S. So they used U.S. money to bribe Brazilian officials to get this fraudulent, you know, this illegal obtained loan to purchase the third largest beef packer in the U.S. And that's how JBS became the largest beef packer in the world, meat packer in the world. Um, and now they are able so they have this history of bribing officials and now they're able to import um, or export from Brazil and into the US different cuts of meat. And that meat is able to be, have a product of the USA label on it. And, and consumers have no way of distinguishing unless their supermarket has a program. Um, they have no way of distinguishing what steaks come from US ranches um, in Brazil. And, and I mean, just that information there, I feel like it has never been headline news. And I mean, I feel like you could write a, a movie on the whole thing if yeah, you really get into it. It's just crazy. Like, um, you know, you, it's just such a, such a weird thing. And, and learning about it, it's like, holy smokes. And every, every time you learn more, it's like, holy smokes. Tyson Foods is the same way. I mean, they bribed a, the, Secretary of Agriculture under Clinton, they bribed him um, with money and gifts. And and really, their plea deal was that John and Don Tyson got immunity in the deal. And then they just had to pay some money. So yeah. to me, it's just and and that's part of the big problem is the beef packers also control the beef checkoff. The beef checkoff pays advertises in all of ag media to their ranchers for which makes no sense at all and it tells them how good the beef checkoff is but then ag media is kind of beholden to the checkoff which is controlled by the processors and and they aren't going to ever write anything bad about it and soon the national media doesn't hear anything about it because ag media won't cover it um and so and that's, that's a, that's a definitely, that's a slippery slope. It's, it's a fine line you have to walk of kind of, I'll say exposing the truth here and, you know, not trying to compromise people's ways of life. And you, you go from, you know, ag media all the way into the academic institutions, you know, and finding out how all these, you know, academic programs are financed, who they're financed by. And in you do, you get some old school guys saying, Hey, this is just how it is. This is how it's always right. been in my life. I mean, and, Right. The most recent Senate, just a great example. This There's a guy named Stephen Koontz. He's out of Colorado State. Colorado State, and he goes around talking about how um, we can't regulate these beef processors. It'll. He's an economist. He says, you know, the ranchers will lose money if they, if they try to regulate, you know, do any new regulations on the, on the beef processors or beef packers because – um, it's actually going to hurt the ranchers. But if you go back to Colorado State, which is where he works, Colorado State has a, their research facility is called the Five Rivers Research Facility. Five Rivers is the largest feed yard in the world, or in the U.S., I guess I should say, um, yeah. by a lot. They have over a million head of cattle on feed, and they are all in on these, uh, you know, AMAs and the, they, they have the, probably the best pricing you can get for cattle because they have the most. Um, and they were once owned by JBS. You know, five rivers was purchased by JBS. There's people who have running five rivers were, were, were once JBS employees. So it's, you know, and they donate heavily to Colorado state. They funded their whole research facility. So how much research can you, can you even trust when, the largest, you know, it's it's just such a mess when you really get into looking at, at it's you know, daunting. Yeah. yeah. It, it, 
it's completely daunting and it's frustrating and you just go, well, what the hell? And I always just tell everybody, well, we got to get back to the source of the seed of where we came from. Let's start there. Let's start with, you know, from the ground up here. And, you know, let's try, let's talk about a vertical integration back into food. And, you know, it is a community at a time, you know, we're not going to solve the world's problems here. You know, the war on meat is real. A lot of the, you know, the, the fake meat stuff that's been going on for this last decade, all the, the, the amount of billions of dollars that have been poured into this new fake commodity that they're building, fake protein, fake vegetable, you know, 3D printed meat from stem cell meat to everything that's coming our way. A lot of people don't realize a lot, a lot of them, hundreds of millions of dollars of research dollars have been funded by the packers themselves, the processors themselves. There's some well, of the big get into that. I think the USDA just gave, I think 10 million. I mean, you get into these numbers and it's, and that's yeah. the whole thing. They, the, the way the government has screwed everything up, there's, you know, but USDA has given, I think it's $10 million for research um, into lab, lab created meat, um, which is to me, uh, you know, I don't spend a whole lot of money on the fake meats just because I covered it four years ago, five years ago when the beef packers invested in it. And since yeah. then it has nothing but lose value and, you know, they have said every year this lab meat is coming out by the end of the year. <laughs> that was like five years ago. Um, it never happens. They just continue to dump money into this. But I mean, that's where I go back to you that now the U.S. taxpayer is dumping money into lab grown meat. And, and if anyone had an idea of how this stuff is grown, um, it's I mean, it's just so you talk about there's been this whole push for no antibiotics and livestock this lab grown meat is grown in a petri dish of antibiotics so it's just a <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's not just, it's not real for one and you know it takes it and it goes in and it exploits and it shows the true uh detachment we have from what real food is how we got here what true nutrition is and you look out there in the you know, the global marketing plan that is you know that's controlled by the medical the pharmaceutical and the agricultural complex that we all have to operate in you know for our consumption models you know we don't eat unless we have permission from chemical companies because of technology technology use agreements for, you know, the amount of money that they do to push all this new technology and science that they use to basically say that we've got this new and improved form of uh, nutrition and we're bringing it to you. But like you said, I mean, it's it's an industrial shift is what's going on in, in the long run. You know, they're not going to basically kill the cow, take meat out of our pro, uh, out of our consumption. What they're doing is turning it to where it's more priced like caviar to where we, the common man, don't have access to it and it's going to go to the highest bidders and everybody else will still be eating this phenomenal meat but all this fake meat the lab-grown meat the pea protein meat the soy protein meat the vegetable-based uh, meat products that they've you know science and engineered for tasting and texture and everything well it already makes it into all of our our products i mean especially you look at tyson you look at everything that goes into any type of meat product they sell you know they stack these fake commodities on top of fake commodities and then they turn and tell you it's meat you know you Used to you'd get a burrito that was 50% beef and 50% bean. Let's say it is a combination burrito. Well, now it might have 8% beef, and then you're just going to have 30% of these these different types of proteins that they're developing in these labs. And then a lot of the beans are going to be the same type of bean that is developed in these labs. So what they're really moving for, you look what's going on in the Netherlands. They're shutting down 50% of the farmers in the Netherlands right now because they have faith. You know, they're using climate change as the reason and the narrative that they have to do this nitrogen you know carbon you know the cow is now a car a global carbon hazard but but what people don't understand is their food the industrial shift that they're doing is they're taking the 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 cow out of the ground they're taking the food product out of the ground and they're they're developing in the lab and they think that they can do this because a lot of the soil has been damaged so much by the chemicals and you know every where we've gotten to now with the manipulation of the cow itself, the fat cows, the antibiotics, all the steroids that they, you know, they use that we end up consuming, well, they think that they can do it in the lab now. They don't need the soil. Yeah, man, it, it sounds kind of crazy to, 
you know, it's just to your average consumer sitting there watching, seeing people like you and me talk about it. But the JBS, I'm pretty sure one of their higher executives, it could have been their CEO, kind of said that. He said that yeah. um, in the future, he saw beef to be like a luxury item to where only the, you know, really the high, you know, the rich people would be able to afford it. And, and the more of the middle class, like your your average meat products would be manufactured um yeah like pure steaks are just going to be a luxury item and that's the biggest meat packer in the world um and that's where he sees things going i would say that's probably a goal <laughs> for them yeah. because they really it's cheaper for them to produce their profit margins are higher on them i would assume because that's why they're pushing it um and then they don't have to deal with people like me or you know anybody that raises cattle they would really just not have <laughs> they yeah, they just, they just the system and the fewer independent um, ranchers there are for the it's better for the beef packers and that's how that's definitely how they see it well and why would they change why would they not go for the highest profit margins that's what they do anyways they get you know they settle out of court for millions of dollars because they make hundreds of million dollars on the backside like we talked before why wouldn't they do, especially if they're a global company, you know, and it's a global apparatus now that basically, you know, the one world food group, you know, things that are going on in the, when I say food industrial shift, what do I mean by that? Well, it means as far as how food is processed, how food is created. It also means all these factories, these processing centers, they get to reinvent the processing center to where it's, a, you know, upgraded technology, food science, and, and you know, they use all this, well, you know, your food's going to be cleaner. You know, and everything that they use as excuses is better for the environment. You know, they're digitizing our food in ways that people really don't understand, and they're digitizing our consumption models, and it'll be predictive. It's like, yeah, we know what you buy at the grocery store. We know what you think tastes good. We know that we don't have to basically provide you meat anymore. I think it. the other day there was a report, it was a global report that came out and said 72% of everybody in the last year have already started, started cutting back on their meat consumption because of the price. Whenever they... Whenever when they say that, well, these packers and these processing plants, they're not losing money. They're making record profits. So it's not affecting them. It's affecting the individual that are trying to raise families based on nutrition and protein, and they don't have market access to it. And you look at the health. I work with a lot of doctors, and you look at what they're seeing when they, the, the patients are coming in. Kids are coming in with testosterone counts of 200 when they should be 12 to 1400 well that's a lack of animal protein and a lot of people don't understand that so it's already affecting our health as a nation we're we're metabolically bankrupt in many ways because we don't have market access to pure animal protein anymore and it's getting worse and that's kind of what i it's not being alarmist because me you people that are listening to the show we our consumer demand is going to be different. We will still have a way in a market access to engineer our con- consumer demand that we don't have to play that game. But we have to get there. We have to create this general awareness across the board of that vertical integration back into, you know, how our grandfathers did it. You know, and I work with ranchers here in the state of Texas, grass farmers, ranchers. You know, we have uh, uh, Panhandle Meats, uh, Justin Trammell. He's up here in the Panhandle. He just opened up his processing center. He's from the, from the soil all the way to the fork. He, he has control of that. He has a new revenue stream because he gets to kill when he wants to kill. His kill dates are decided by him instead of the big four. We have Cole Bolton of K&C Cattle down south of Austin and Luling. He's opening up Hometown Meats. He's going to be a little bit bigger and his his market access and the community in the region that he's going to be able to provide is based on his protocol. He gets to call the shots. It's decentralized. It's a vertical integration. And I call it back a you know a vertical integration back into human health because we have control as the consumer. Say our consumer demand is going to shift now. We're not going to pay attention to you guys anymore because look where you got us. Look where you've taken the American rancher of a stance of power and sovereignty into now more of a codependency and something that is more captured than it is about independence and having a way to basically make a living that's not based on, um, you know, price manipulations, uh, commodity prices, subsidies and, you know, the USDA insurance policy as a whole. 
And it is it is daunting. But here we go. We're doing it. We're having these conversations. And, you know, you bringing out there, you being somebody that's lived this your whole life. I mean, I just want to compliment you and let you know that this, this is a valuable thing that you're doing. And people will grow. People will start paying attention. And, you know, helping you have a voice is one of my biggest goals right now. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Um, you bet. One of the, you were talking about your process. Are you familiar with uh, Herzog Meats? Yeah. Um, yeah. He's up by Kansas city and he's, mm-hmm. I, I was able to see a presentation he did last year and it was really neat. And he was, uh, so he built, just went out on his own. I think it was before, might've been right around the time of COVID, but they built a, you know, multi-million dollar processing facility mainly for their local area. Um, and they're able to process, uh, local cattle and and sell to their local area and they've been able to get into local grocery stores and um and all that so it's been neat to see and and i know there's a lot of you know there's these multi-million dollar bee processing you know there's one announced in south dakota and it's hard not to you know get excited about that kind of news but really I go back to, you know, what I'd like to see is more of Herzog meats type of type of processing. You know, if we get those, it's like he said, if we can get those around, you know, two or three of those around every major city in the country, that's, that's, that would be a way better deal for ranchers than, than another, you know, $300 million facility or whatever they said uh, up in South Dakota. I mean, it's always good to have demand, but if you look at the history of how those things have went, um, the, the big four, those four packing, those four processors have so much control of the industry. When somebody comes out, there's been multiple packers try to start up, try to get in and be as big as them. And all they have to do, if they show any success, those other packers can easily buy them out every time. Sure. So, yeah. To me, those large facilities are just another, I mean, national beef now is the third largest, uh, Packer in the country, they're they're owned by they're majority owned by Marfrig, which is now out of uh, Brazil, and they were started by a group of ranchers. National Beef bought out; they were a group of ranchers that started a co-op. I'm pretty sure that bought out bought out farmland, um, farmland beef processing, and so I mean they were just a, it, it was the same thing as kind of what's going on in Nebraska, and they got big enough and they sold to a major food processor out of Brazil. So it's, it's just those big ones um, are, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to be negative about it, but if you look at the history, it's kind of like, well, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, we'll go back on what you were talking about earlier, you know, IBP and Tyson, you know, who bought, who bought IPP? Well, it was Tyson. Right. And, uh, you know, that's what they do. That's their, that's their MO. And, and why not? I mean, they've got enough capital. They've got enough, you know, debt, you know, money that's based on debt. Then, you know, they can go there. They, 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 uh, they, they have a big sword that they can wield. And I always like to say, you know, we're, we have to nickel and dime this approach. You know, we have to get these smaller county. And, you know, my dream is to have, you know, a, a small processing center like Panhandle Meats in every county across Texas and it's lofty and everything, but you're starting to see it. You're starting to see these microprocessors here in the state of Texas. You know, we are working with, you know, farm and ranch freedom allowance. We have some people on our side. We have, you know, people that are in the inspection, you know, industry or for the state of Texas. They, you know, we had one of the major inspectors come to Justin's opening or in his inspection and he goes, we need this in the state of Texas. So you have the you have the legislation, you have the lobbyists that are really trying, but it is. I mean, you open up a three hundred million dollar processing plant. That's a bullseye. It is. It's like, OK, go ahead and get up and running and then we're going to come right. over. We'll make your facility money. So we can in a few years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if you, you look know, at Tyson Foods, like, I mean, Bill Clinton. And, and it goes back to like, we have these antitrust laws in the U S and, and they're just 100% ignored, you know, Tyson foods, number one chicken processor buying the number one beef processor. I mean, that's like the definition of a, of a beef trust or a meat trust. Um, if you go back to when the, the, the antitrust laws were written and, and uh, Bill Clinton gave the eulogy at Don Tyson's funeral. 
I mean, that's how close they were. And, um, you know, right now, Mike Beebe, the ex-governor of Arkansas, which is where Tyson is located, he is on the board of directors for Tyson Foods. I mean, you know, do you think they had a close relationship when when he was in politics? And and he's still, you know, he works, he's part of a think tank in D.C. You think he's visiting, um, you know, some of these lawmakers when these these laws and regulations are being proposed? Um, you know, it's obvious a lot of these politicians are, uh, you know, they, they influence USDA and the USDA has so much power and they don't wield any of it to control beatpacking. So, I mean, it's really an uphill climb, but I guess not to be, you know, completely negative or to scare people so much, (laughs) what we've seen in the last few years, last couple of years has been, has really been a push to buy local. There's really an interest there. Um, and, and so like these, these packers you've been, or these small lockers you've been talking about, um, they wouldn't exist without a consumer. And so that's really, to me, that's where the, the whole thing, you know, the consumers are being educated and they are searching out these, trying to buy locally. And, um, so there is good things happening. Well, and that's the, uh, us as individuals. I remember, you know, growing up in the 70s, you know, that's when my childhood was, you know, I'm a Gen Xer. And, you know, in 73, Eric Butt says, hey, you know, he went up to my grand, you know, grandfather, all the farmers, your your grandparents said, you're going to go big or you're going to go home. And you were talking about earlier, it's like now it's just like wheat and soy, you know, and that's what they make their money off of. They had to go fence to fence. And, you know, one of the things that they used at that time to say that this is your obligation, your responsibility is, hey, we're going to go feed the world. And that's we got to do that. We're the United States of America. We're going to feed the world. Well, we got to lose that mentality, one, because that's not what we do. We didn't do it in the first place. There's still poverty. There's still malnutrition. There's people, nutritional starvation is rampant in in this world. We didn't end up feeding the world is what we did is we created an agricultural complex that basically is manipulated and the the profit margins are are very, um, are spread out to a very few amount of people. So by saying that as the individual, as an individual consumer, it is up to us to create a new consumer demand. And how you do that is you look at that vertical integration from the soil to the grass, to the cow, to the producer, to the processor, to the supplier, to your market access that you create by looking in a different way. Understanding where you live, understanding what's out there, going through the beef initiative. We're having more and more producers come in through the beef initiative producer section and everyone that I've talked to in, in person or, you know, through the phone or through, um, you know, social media, whatever it is, they say that they were getting a lot more awareness. People are, are looking for that new market access. They are being the, they are driving that consumer demand. And it is, it's one person, it's one family, it's one community at a time. And if you can scale down your expectations and put into a perspective of how our grandparents thought, that's what they did. I mean, you know, they, they did. They traded hogs. They traded cow. They traded fowl. They traded produce. And that's all they really con- were concerned about. But they knew that their community was all going to be taken care of. And you had that food security. You had that um, confidence that you knew that you were eating some of the best food because it was locally grown, which a lot of people don't realize how important it is to eat food where you are standing from the, the soil in which you stand upon. You know, that's why a lot of ranchers and regenerative ranchers are, you know, they they have beehives, you know, they're bee producers as well because of the honey. And if you can get down and look and reflect on where we came from, it's not that daunting. It's actually a new lifestyle that actually is empowering. And if we can put it in perspective, like you say, you know, that's where that's our responsibility is letting people know that, you know, change your perspective first and then we'll step, step forward. Yeah, and you talk about the 70s, but I can remember in the 90s is when I was in high school, we quit. My grandpa was all in on hogs. He loved having hogs around, um, and he was in his 80s, and we quit raising hogs because, and I asked my dad about it recently, and he said, well, we got to the point where you just had to expand. There was all these massive hog buildings going up, raising all these hogs. You just had to expand to where you were so big. Um that you to make it profitable and that was like 95 98 the hog market completely collapsed so these people that built these giant hog buildings all went broke or they either went broke or they went to exclusive contracts with with pork packers um 
And then in 90, I think it was like nine, it was around in the late nineties, my dad was feeding cattle and he got to the point where it was like, well, you have, you know, I think our, we had, we had lots that would hold like 300 head of cattle. And it, it was a point where you either have to expand to where you can hold thousands or it's just not profitable to do that anymore. And, and so we quit feeding cattle and now we just have a cow calf um, operation, which was really as far as livestock in this part of the country, the only really that still has like an open market, most cattle, most calves are still sold in an auction barn. Um, and now, so and that was just the nineties and, but that's how it's always kind of went, you know, you either get bigger or you quit. And, and both of those times, I think with the pork and the beef, like we made the right decision. If you look at history, <laughs> you know, we would have went, we would have lost a ton of money on the, on the hogs. You know, they went to where they were worth, they were hardly worth the price of gas to get them to town. Um, just a couple of years after we got out of it and, you know, with the environmental regulations and I know a lot of your regenerative people, um, don't like to hear the word feedlot, but I mean, this was in the nineties right. where that is how, you know, grass fed really wasn't even thought of back then. Um, no, not at all. <laughs> not yeah. at all. So, um, so that's how we were doing it. And, you know, back then it was, it was a lot different than how it is now. Um, as far you as feedlot, you know, yeah, you yeah. can't even compare and it's, it's not fair to compare, you know, and you look at the mid nineties, like you said, 95, I mean, we had NAFTA, we had major food consolidations that went global at that time. We've had four major global food consolidations that have happened since 95. And the last one just happened in 2017, 18. And it'll be pr pretty historical looking back in 10 years, you know, what happened during those times. Well, a lot of people need to look at 1995 and whatever happened in the hog industry and how we went NAFTA and how, you know, people did get driven out of the, the, the hog industry really did get captured in certain ways. And they've had success doing that. They've had success doing it in dairy. They've had success doing it in chicken, fowl. They've had success in hog. And now they're coming after beef in the same way. Why would they not? Because it, they're all the same now. Tyson being a poultry you know, from poultry and hog, and now they, you know, they basically have control over meat, beef as well. It's a consolidation that it ruins everybody except for their profit margins and their power over the global food group that they've created. And once you start understanding that, you in your mind you go, "Hey, man, I'm gonna get a little bit, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna get this on a more micro scale. I know what they're doing macro, and so." I think that we got we do have good times ahead. We do have a new mindset that's coming that's actually being pioneered because of the prohibition that's going on. Prohibition of being able to be an animal producer, be it, you know, through the old ways of, you know, factory farm, feedlots, whatever it is, to regenerative. It's all shifting into a good direction that actually I believe now that we're going to have a movement that is going to be become popular and it'll be a way for people to kind of create a new lifestyle that they can kind of rely on and it has some heritage in it it has some tradition it brings people like you into the mix of you know look at your hat rack behind you i want one of those so i need to get one of those from you so um you know, let's talk. so i don't make it's this what, one but this was well, actually I, mean, an I think it's out of uh Sioux City Stockyards. I got it from All right. uh, my wife's from Sioux City and their family, uh, her grandpa gave it to me. So that's that's phenomenal. I mean, I love that. I mean, <laughs> that top one's a buffalo. So that's is a it buffalo. really? OK, tell us everything one. about it there. So you got the <laughs> buffalo you got the buzzing on top. What's the middle one there? That's just a different. That's just a, probably off of an old cow. And then yeah. the bottom one's a Texas Longhorn for sure. Yeah, right. So. What's your passion? Is your passion that right there doing that? What is it? What is it you look out, you know, look forward to doing these days? Um, well, I really look forward to is the Lonesome Land stuff. I mean, a lot of this stuff I've been, I've been doing the Hornworks for 16 years and, and I can, mm -hmm. it's kind of almost, I, I, my mind just wanders while I do it because I don't have to concentrate on it too much anymore. And, and really I'm just thinking about lonesome lands all the time. Um, but like I said, it's been months since I put anything out, but I've gotten 
some different stuff and I'd really like to do more with YouTube. I've got a drone now and GoPro stuff and I've kind of been learn, learning how to do things and, and kind of just tell more of more of the stories. Um, Lonesome Lands has, has, if you followed for very long or even a few years, it's kind of never really had a focus or, you know, I've, it's just kind of evolved and, and just been more of a fluid thing just kind of seeing where it goes i, I kind of just started it on a whim and um and then i got into this where i saw these major problems in agriculture but the the whole goal and i'm sure you come up with it too is to just be able to get to the consumer and, and to get their attention um and do it in a way that for me the goal now is to do it in a way that's enjoyable for me <laughs> mm -hmm. because sometimes, you know, like if you followed my YouTube, it's not that enjoyable for me just to sit down in front of the camera and, you know, explain things. Um, but that's yeah. what I've done because it does get to people and, and I think it's good, but, um, and the reason I take these long breaks and, and don't get any content out of there is because it's hard to get motivated if you're not enjoying it. And so I'm trying to, to get to a place where I'm really enjoying it and, and hopefully can get profitable. <laughs> also yeah. that that make it enjoyable too. Um, so and I, and I tell everybody that they, what's the beef initiative? Well, it's, it's what you make it as an individual. There's so many things that you can get from the beef initiative. You know, we're selling beef now. We, we haven't talked about Bitcoin yet, but you and I will talk about Bitcoin in the future. But, you know, we're doing a decentralized sound money way that we can have that peer to peer acts, uh, transactional uh power you know to where you and i if you're set up on you know that's what you know uh, jason rick of rick ranches in colorado he set up you know uh cole bolton of knc cattle down there in austin he's the one that supplies our beef through the beef initiative and he accepts beef and bitcoin and it's, a, it's something he has control over you know and especially now with his processing center so it's part of that market access but you know beef initiative is a lifestyle you know and you bringing it up you know you need to do stuff that you, you can enjoy well, you and I meeting and me following you from day one was because of your YouTube channel. And, you know, we were talking about getting you some more help, you know, with our production team, you know, with Texas Slim's vision. You know, there's Texas Slim Media that we're going to be releasing out formally here pretty soon. We're going to give those ranchers a chance. Somebody like you to, okay, you need to educate and you want to provide content that's based on your lifestyle and your trade craft. And so we're going to help people do that. And so by saying that, you know, we're going to help you get up to speed and everything. Everybody definitely needs to go to lonesomelands.com. I posted a t-shirt earlier that you're selling. It was that plant-based t-shirt that has a pile of cow shit, which it is, you know, that's plant-based. So um, <laughs> it's a good t-shirt. So you guys go to my uh, YouTube and check it out. But, uh, you know, we're going to help you in any which way. Everybody listening to this, you know, from YouTube, um, you know, all of the different channels that we're doing with podcasting 2.0. There's a lot of people out there wanting to hear your voice and what you're doing. What are you doing uh, July 22nd through 24th? Are you available? Well, <laughs> my wife is uh, due to have a baby here pretty, pretty early on. So I'm kind of stuck at home for the next few weeks i we just went on a trip and after we got home here it's like we need to stick around yeah time to uh, time to anchor in here we got something coming yeah. so yeah. well I was, I was gonna let you know man you had two tickets to uh lonesome or to uh, the beef initiative conference if you wanted it so but i think you have higher priorities right now yeah but yeah i saw that and i it would i definitely would love to meet you and and the rest of the crew in person but um yeah, well, we will. We'll be meeting. I mean, I just, you know, I just went and traveled around the, you know, Tennessee, North Carolina, the Virginias and, you know, Arkansas, Missouri, all the, that area of the country. I'll be doing a, you know, Midwest tour at some point in time. We have a big year ahead of us. We're going to have more conferences. There'll be other times that we all get together and we're going to build content together. We're going to, you know, we're going to help each other out on social media. We're going to help each other on, you know, podcasting 2.0, YouTube. 
we're going to keep on uh, having these conversations every once in a while, whenever you're able and, you know, you got a little one on the way. So um, I think this has been a very good first kickoff, you know, discovery. And, you know, this will build. This is, you know, this is how we shake shake each other's hands digitally right now. We build that relationship and that friendship and we, we, we give each other a voice. That's what we need to do these days. We need to, you know, get a new form of food intelligence out there, a new market access way of thinking and create a new consumer demand that goes straight to the people that are trying to feed us. So in closing, Jim, is there anything that you would like anybody else to know right now until the next time that you and I get together? Um, no, just that I, I do plan on putting some more stuff out there. And, and like I said, I wanted to say thanks because, you know, sometimes these things motivate me when I get, when I get to talk to somebody and, and, you know, like you talk about giving a voice to ranchers, it's pretty easy to realize or to, you know, get lost when you're, when you're out in the middle of nowhere and you don't really talk to people very sure. often. Um, so yeah, I, I appreciate it. And, and now I'm, now I've got a little motivation to get out there and get some, some <laughs> well, more. Content. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get busy. Let's get busy building. That's what we got to do right. during times of mass prohibition. There are times of mass innovation and it's people like us that do that. So, you know, let, let, let's move forward. Uh, let's everybody get out to lonesomelands.com. Let's, uh, you know, go to and follow Jim at Lonesome Lands on Twitter. Uh, let's support, let's have fun. Let's create a lifestyle out of it. And, uh, you know, like I said, let's let's everybody kind of do this together and, uh, you know, keep the, the dialogue going and uh, the sat streaming. Thank you, everybody, for uh, joining us in 2.0. Thank you, uh, Adam Curry, for helping us get set up. Um, I, I'm told I can wrangle people in pretty well, so I'm glad I wrangled you in, Jim. It's been a pleasure, and uh, we'll be talking soon, okay? Everybody else, remember, go to uh, beefinitiative.com. We got tickets. We got education on uh, Bitcoin. We've got a new scholarship program that we're doing for the American rancher. We've got our conference. Everybody get to that conference. We now have a two day pass that you can buy. It's a little bit uh, cheaper for those people that are local, really in the state of Colorado or bucked up to it, like New Mexico or Kansas or Texas. So everybody pay attention to what's going on in the beef initiative. Thank you for your support. And Jim, thank you so much for what you do. And uh, great to have you on the show. Have a great day. And we'll be talking to you soon. Thank you. Appreciate it. You bet. Here at the Beef Initiative, we encourage all your ranchers out there to tell us who and where you are so we can let everybody know they're looking for you. This time I'm shouting out KNC Cattle out of Austin, Texas. KNCCattle.com. Cole, he's a fourth generational Texas rancher. He knows what he's doing. <laughs>